One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's the morning of June the 25th. 1978 and a pickup truck with a group of friends inside is making its way across San Francisco. They started in the Castro, which is the city's buzzing gay neighbourhood, and they're heading to the United Nations Plaza, a grand open space in front of City Hall that's lined with ginormous flagpoles. Most of the flagpoles have equally ginormous flags from around the world attached to them, as you would expect. But two are flagless. The pickup truck arrives and out jump the friends. From the back, they heave a pile of fabric. Straining together to lift it, they carry it over to one of the empty poles. They keep hold of the fabric as it slowly climbs the pole, unfurling as it rises, getting larger and larger until it dwarfs the friends. And now they are swallowed, bathed in the colours. It's glorious rainbow colours that are so bright the dodgy 1970s cameras implode trying to capture them. Later that day, the plaza will be filled with thousands and thousands of people. They'll listen to a man called Harvey Milk, the first openly gay man elected to public office in California. There'll be iconic photos of him standing up for joy and justice in front of the crowd. And in the background, flying against a blue sky, will be those beautiful, proud, ginormous rainbow flags. Hello, welcome to Patented, a podcast about the history of inventions, brought to you from History Hits. I'm Dallas Campbell. It's a pleasure to have you. It's June. We're celebrating Pride Month today, and we're going back to the origins of the the Pride flag, or the rainbow flag, as it was uh, known for a long time. And it's a story that has its beginnings, as I mentioned, in San Francisco in the 1970s, when Harvey Milk, of whom they did a film about, Gus Van Sant did a film about, asked a friend, Gilbert Baker, to design something new, something new and iconic for Gay Freedom Day. And it's a story that's still going on today as the pride flag continues to change and evolve, to bring people together, to be discussed and argued over and celebrated. Well, my guest today is the journalist Jake Hall, who has studied this history. Jake is also the author of The Art of Drag, which isn't about the pride flag, as you can probably guess, but it's great nonetheless. Enjoy.
Jake, welcome to the show. It's nice to have you. Thank you very much for having me. I remember I was in San Francisco in the 1980s and well in, in, in southern california as well and the idea of the sort of the rainbow flag was was there in the castro in the 1980s and so i always associate certainly the the, the rainbow flag with california and also actually also la we used to go to the um the rainbow bar and grill in hollywood which was has been i i, I'm, I don't know when it was set up 100 years but it's a very famous gay bar restaurant that's been there forever and we used to we used to go there yeah, it's really confusing, actually. Like, I went to Peru last year and we kept seeing rainbows. I was there with my boyfriend and I was like, oh, it must be so inclusive. And then we realized that the rainbow was also the sign of like, the Incas. <laughs> so we definitely... Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. And also, was it was the rainbow flag also a peace flag for a while? Because there was a restaurant I used to go to called Pace, Pace and, you know, which is Italian for peace. And there, theirs was the sort of rainbow flag. And it had sort of parche in it. Yeah, there is a sense that the rainbow is a kind of symbol of unity and that it has become this kind of symbol of peace and serenity. So I think it has been kind of like used variously for these like little peace movements over the years. Okay, well let's let's start from the do, let's start with the kind of origins of this. Where did there was a time when there was no flag, and then suddenly there was. Am I right in thinking that it did start in San Francisco? When when to who, what, when? What's the story, Jake? So it started in kind of like late 1977. So in San Francisco throughout the 70s. That's a good year. It is a good year. Okay, 1977, it were well, here's, let's discuss what happened. Elvis died. Mm -hmm. Never mind the bollocks by the Sex Pistols came out. Rumours by Fleetwood Mac came out. Great year. <laughs> Charles and Ray Eames's Powers of Ten, which is the greatest science film. Honestly, 1977. It's like the year of everything. I was seven at the time. I was seven years old. Nice. I was minus 16 years old. <laughs> Not even a twinkle. <laughs> Not even a twinkle. <laughs> but so I think San Francisco throughout the 60s had also been really pivotal for the gay rights movement. There had been the Compton's Cafeteria riot. There had been street-led movements like Vanguard. And all of these were kind of happening before Stonewall. Let's just talk about what Stonewall is. You mentioned that you mentioned Stonewall. What, what were the Stonewall riots? So the Stonewall riots were a series of riots that happened in New York in 1969. It was basically police would frequently raid the Stonewall Inn, which at the time, like many gay bars in New York, was mafia-owned. The police would normally kind of announce that they were coming to do these raids. This time they hadn't. People think there was money exchange, there was some kind of payoff. For whatever reason, that night became kind of like the night. There are lots of people that say that Judy Garland's funeral was happening down the road. And it was like the rage of the feelings <laughs> tied to Garland's death that sparked the Stonewall riots. Who knows? There are so many... So, okay, just hang on a sec. What? Why, Julie, why Judy Garland? Like, she's become this sort of great sort of gay icon. Why? I mean, other than ever, we all like Judy Garland because she's Judy Garland. But is that the reason? I think people have this real idea of her as like a symbol of resistance. When you look at a lot of gay icons, these very queer adjacent women. So, for example, Cher, you have, you know, Tina Turner. All these women that have kind of gone through struggles. And I feel like there's a strength in femininity. And there's also a sense of resilience and empowerment that people really resonate with. Yeah. And I'm just I'm just thinking about over rainbows and rainbows and Judy Garland and wondering if there's a link. Maybe yes. a link. Everyone has their own little story. Some people, it's one of those things that I think because people want to home in on like a first, there are so many yes. rumors as to where it came from. Some yeah. people do think it was a reference to Judy Garland's over the rainbow. 
Okay, so okay, so that's the Stonewall riots, nineteen sixty nine. So 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 carry on. So we're in we're in San Francisco. It's nineteen seventy seven. Go. Yes. So basically, at this time in nineteen seventy, there is somebody called Gilbert Baker. He was born in Kansas, but he was stationed in San Francisco in nineteen seventy. Born in Kansas, like like in the Wizard of Oz. Like in the Wizard of Oz. Uh, Just saying, I don't want to spread historical misinformation, but there's a case to be made. (laughs) But so Gilbert was stationed for two years as a medic before he was honorably discharged. He then started working on a campaign to legalize medical marijuana. He was also very involved in kind of activist circles. He, I think it was Mary Dunn, who was a fellow activist in San Francisco that taught him how to sew. He also, in 74, became friends with Harvey Milk. So Harvey Harvey Milk. Milk, yes. So Harvey Milk was a kind of local politician. He ran for three years in a row and in 1977 finally got elected in February. And he was known as kind of like the mayor of Castro Street because he specifically had a shop called Castro Camera. A camera shop? Yeah. Just explain the Castro, that that little bit of San Francisco. Where are we in San Francisco? What does the Castro represent? Even before Harvey Milk. I'm sure they did a film about Harvey Milk like a few years ago. Yeah, it's really good. Who directed it? I'm trying to remember the name of the director. It was directed by Gus Van Sant. Gus Van Sant, of course, who did My Own Private Idaho and, and other films. It's a great film, actually. I haven't seen it. I kept meaning to see it. But there, there we go. So if, listeners, if you want to know more, you can go and watch Gus Van Sant, who's a very famous gay film director. Would recommend. But yeah, just explain the Castro. Where are we? What is the Castro? Why is it special? Why is it called the Castro? It kind of becomes... So Castro is... It was named after somebody who was like a Mexican revolutionary. So there is definitely a spirit of, I guess, leftist, socialism, revolutionary. There was the the kind of white flight. So when you look at the gentrification throughout the US in the 50s and 60s, a lot of places on the Castro became quite affordable. So a lot of gay people moved in. And in the 70s specifically, it became this trendy, hip place to be for gay business owners of which Harvey Milk was one. There have been various gay districts in San Francisco over the years. So you had the Tenderloin, which is where the Compton's Cafeteria right happened. You had kind of Polk Street as well. You had these places that just became known as gay spaces, right? But it was specifically this kind of influx of like small business owners in the 70s that made it a very safe and kind of friendly place for gay people to be. So we've got our friend Harvey Milk. He runs a camera shop in the Castro, at, on Castro Street. Um, what, so to explain, so how do we get from there to, and we, when we've got the, and, and he becomes the mayor? So he spends three different campaigns, so three different years. He first runs in 1974. He consistently is advocating for unions. He is talking to working class people in San Francisco. He's tried to build a kind of voting base among marginalized people. And by 77, he succeeds. But he runs on this kind of message of hope. So his message is that, you know, the only thing they have to look forward to is hope and you have to give them hope. And he's specifically talking to disenfranchised young people within the LGBTQ community. So at the time in 77, the closest thing to a symbol that gay people really have is the pink triangle. Why? Yeah, I mean, I think of the pink triangle as well. So where did that come from and what happened to that? So the Pink Triangle was printed onto the uniforms of gay concentration camp prisoners in Nazi Germany. It was basically a branding tool to mean that people would get harsher treatment. It would single them out, essentially. That had been reclaimed 
by kind of early gay activist groups that were more radical. So towards the 70s, you see this real splintering from more conservative gay political groups. You see them splintering into very much more radical factions. So you have the Gay Liberation Front. Gay Liberation Front kind of famously teams up with like the Black Panthers. They make it their mission to be distinctly radical. So the Pink Triangle is an act of reclamation. But Milk wanted something slightly different. So it wasn't to replace that, but he wanted something that would represent hope. And that's when he turned to Gilbert. I mean, something kind of less political or or less radical or what was the... Actually, you know what, Jake, actually, let's pause there because I want to just ask you, I think this is important to establish, what was it like to be gay in America in 1977? I imagine not great. I mean, especially at that time, because so you had the Stonewall riots, which were really born of resistance in 1969. You then start to see Christopher Street Liberation Day in New York is a commemoration of the Stonewall riots. And that gives birth to what we now know as Pride Parades. So that's why to this day, Pride Month is June, because it commemorates the Stonewall Riots. Throughout the 1970s, you see these parades spread across the US. So by 1977, San Francisco has its Gay Freedom Day Parade. And it is still very much rooted in resistance. And specifically by this point in the late 1970s, you have conservative politicians that are starting to panic about the rise of the gays, essentially. But so there was a, so, I mean, the thing is, here we are in the progressive 2020s and no no one bats an eyelid if you're gay. I'm sure maybe some people bat eyelids, but it's, it's, I'm just trying to sort of take people back 40 years and and it just wasn't like that. Being gay was, was, you were, you were absolutely an outsider. And it's interesting because we're seeing a resurgence of the rhetoric now, specifically when it comes to trans people. A big thing that was happening politically in the late 1970s, was there was something called the Briggs Initiative. So you really have echoes of the Briggs Initiative in today's rhetoric. This idea that trans people are a danger to children. I mean, the Briggs Initiative was specifically a bill that barred gay and lesbian school teachers. So it was specifically this idea that gays are grooming your children, which now we see in anti-drag rhetoric. (laughs) We see in anti-trans rhetoric, this idea that proximity to a drag queen or to a trans person is going to somehow corrupt your child. Let's talk about the flag. So we've got the pink triangle and Harvey Milk wants something different. He wants to, I mean, maybe, you know, the fact that he wanted something different, is that a sort of comment on, you know, people see the pink triangle as something a bit too radical, a bit too in your face, a bit too divisive? We want yeah. something a, a bit mellower or I don't know. I'm just trying to think, trying to imagine like why he's, why he's like, okay, we need something else. It's difficult, isn't it? I think it's because he specifically campaigned on a message of joy. And I think really in terms of politics and in terms of creating a well-rounded movement, you need different facets. So you need that nod back to suffering. You need this historical grounding in, in pain. You do need that. You need this reclamation. You also need that to move forward. But then you also need this symbol of joy. You need a symbol of hope or else what's the point? So he's like, okay, we need, he's made this decision. We need some kind of new symbol. Why the rainbow? We alluded to maybe to to Judy Garland, but why the rainbow? And who who came up with it? And why those particular colours? So it is kind of Gilbert Baker that is credited with creating the rainbow flag. So he became a friend of Harvey Milk's. Harvey Milk then turned to him because he had experience in sewing. He was involved in political movements. So Gilbert Baker was tasked with creating a symbol, right? So there are different stories. So some people think that it was around the time of the American Bicentennial. So Gilbert Baker was seeing all these American flags and was kind of 
looking at how impactful the flags were on public psyche. So that's why a flag came to mind. There's a story that he was in a, a gay club and he looked around and saw the beautiful diversity and was inspired to create a rainbow based on that. There's again the Garland reference. So some people think that it was directly inspired by Over the Rainbow. But so what happened is somehow the rainbow flag was conceptualized. And then at the time there was the San Francisco, I think it was the Gay Community Center. And this became the kind of the birthplace of the rainbow flag. So it was volunteer-led, and Baker worked with James McNamara, who assisted in sewing the flag. He worked with Fairy Argyle Rainbow, who, that's how she is legally known, (laughs) and she helped with the dyeing process. And then there were a team of 30 volunteers at the community centre that helped put the flag together. So, th- so this is flag one, flag one point zero. There was like it wasn't like we're going to print loads of flags on paper or so. Th- it was a handmade flag. How big was it, and and was it for a specific event? It was. So it was specifically for the nineteen seventy eight Gay Freedom Day parade, and there were two flags initially. So these two flags, it was there was a thousand dollars given to Gilbert Baker by the Gay Freedom Day parade budget to create these flags. And they were to be hung from the United Nations Plaza as Harvey Milk gave his speech. So that was the initial flag. And I think it was like 30 feet by 60 feet. It was huge. Crikey, it's massive. Yeah, actually, it's a quote that it took. They were so heavy that it required several people to lift them and a pickup truck to transport them. <laughs> so <laughs> they were big flags, very, very big a, flags. I like that. And just tell us what the, so, I mean, you know, because there's been a lot of iterations of the rainbow flag of the year. So the original flag, what was the, what was the kind of, what, were the, what was the rainbow? What were the colours? So the initial flag, there were eight colours. So there was hot pink for sex, red for hot life. Pink for sex, nice. For sex. <laughs> Red for life, orange for healing, yellow for the sun, green for nature, turquoise for art and magic, blue for serenity, and purple for spirit. It's debatable whether or not the rainbow was intended this way. It may be one of those revisionist things where you have to assign meaning to something because people want you to, essentially. I'm Professor Susanna Lipscomb, and this month on Not Just the Tudors from History Hit, I'm dusting down my magnifying glass to investigate some of history's most notorious murders and brutal crimes. Was Amy Dudley pushed down a flight of stairs to her death? Was it a quarrel, or was the brilliant playwright Christopher Marlowe actually murdered? And what's the truth about the Hungarian noblewoman who allegedly killed hundreds of young women? Join me for Not Just the Tudors from History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. funny actually when i think of flags in, in that particular period you know 1969 we stuck an american flag on the moon as a sort of symbol of claiming like this well they to be fair they didn't you know it, it was that's what it, it looked like we're claiming the moon even though it wasn't for that it was like a, a sort of symbol of like the americans who made the effort to do this great project and i suppose is it that new flag in this speech that harvey milk was doing behind him is it this like reclaiming it's like i'm claiming this this space this idea this i think so and i think it was also about creating a powerful image i mean you look at iconography you look at like you said the american flag on the moon flags are really powerful in terms of creating a memorable image and specifically when you look at the flag especially when you are at the united nations plaza you've got milk giving his speech there are there's some archive footage on youtube actually which is now gone when you look at the pictures and when you look at how people describe it, you can really see how it is this moment. These big, beautiful flags that are shining against the blueness of the sky. And it really is this moment. Like It becomes emblazoned in people's memory. I think as flags go, it's a great flag. Like The original so pride flag, just the, but also the, the actual organisation of the colours is, is really beautiful. We should point out that Milk was assassinated the same year as well. So can you maybe just tell us a little bit about how and why and what were the circumstances surrounding that? For sure. So Milk was very influential. He really kind of resonated with people and he made a big statement. And there was another guy in San Francisco's government called Dan White, who he was the one that assassinated Harvey Milk. So you then have this kind of protracted legal battle why did he assassinate Harvey Milk? Well, it all kind of played out in the trial. So in the trial, you have something called the Twinkie defense. So there was this defense made by Dan White's attorney that Dan White at the time was not in sound mind, that he'd been stressed with work, that he had been suffering, that he had not been himself. And the basis of this narrative was to argue diminished capacity. So to argue that these killings were done not in sound mind. And there was this really famous line about Twinkies. Twinkies, as a, what do we mean by Twinkies? I know what a Twinkie is, but... They're like a US sweet. They're kind of like soft and cakey and they've got cream in the middle. It's like a kind of, yeah, like a Swiss roll, like a mini roll. They're, they're disgusting. Oh, do you not like them? I can't like them. I can't bear them. No, they're too sweet. They're revolting. Anyway, it's kind of like a little mini kind of Swiss roll-y thing. Yeah, Twinkies. Well, you know, apparently they make you homicidal. That was... Do they? Okay. A bit like the Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah, there was this idea. So his representation had said, whenever Dan felt things were not going right, he would abandon his usual program of exercise and good nutrition and start gorging himself on junk foods like Twinkies and Coca-Cola. So his defense were like, he's having a rough time. 
it's getting a bit fatter. We should just let him off. What what's, what was the gay community's response to Harvey Milk's assassination? Then here you've got the, this kind of great gay icon who's done so much, and he's, there's a flag and there's speeches and there's a whole area of San Francisco which becomes the gay area, and suddenly he's gone. It is. There are stages. So at first, there's definitely mourning because news of the assassination breaks. It is this period of widespread mourning. But then as people watch this trial play out, I think it specifically brought up a lot of feelings of how the police had, you know, police brutality was the issue that linked the Gay Liberation Front and the Black Panthers. Police brutality against queer people, you know, was what started the Stonewall riots. So to watch this case being mishandled and to essentially being told essentially be told that Dan White could get away with murdering a gay man. He So he eventually got charged with voluntary manslaughter and he was told that he could be out in five years with good behaviour. So that was on May the 21st. How did he murder? I mean, how did he assassinate with a gun? Like how, Shot him. How, but how can that be... How can, how can that be anything other than politically motivated murder? <laughs> if you look at how the legal system treats queer people, it's not surprising. At all. That's crazy. I, I didn't... Wow. All these arguments that, you know, the police had conspired against queer people, yeah. that these were, you know, obviously the police denied that. But when that verdict broke on May the, 20, May the 21st, 1979, there was just rage. So that was what... It was called the White Knight Riots. <laughs> so people took to City Hall, smashed things, set police cars on fire... It was actually the biggest act of violent rebellion since the Stonewall riots by the gay community. So there was absolute fury when the verdict was announced and it became this. I personally think that the assassination of Harvey Milk kind of helped to proliferate the, the Pride Flag's popularity. Yeah, well, can we talk about that? So from, from that 1978 speech from Harvey Milk's assassination, I mean, how quickly did the pride flag sort of catch on as a symbol? I mean, obviously, sort of beyond America as well. I, th- I think, well, I, th- I, you know, I think of London, and I think of Soho in the, in the 1980s. So when the mass production happened in 79, the flag actually had to be revised because, okay, so there were a few colours <laughs> that were unable to be sourced for whatever reason. So initially there was the eight-stripe flag, but it later became the six-stripe flag because I think it was like pink flag fabric wasn't available, turquoise wasn't available, and indigo wasn't available. So turquoise and hot pink just got purged entirely. And then indigo was replaced with basic blue because it was easier to find. I used to think there was must be some really scandalous reason that two stripes got removed. It wasn't. It was just the dyes and fabrics were hard to find. Simple is better. Keep it simple. You know, that's exactly. the thing about a flag. A good flag is, like, simple. I, I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. In terms of popularity, to be honest, I'm not sure. Most histories go quite quiet. And I looked at archival footage of the 79 Freedom Day Parade in San Francisco and can't see any rainbow flags. I can see there's a person that's wearing, like, rainbow braces on their trousers. So it's quite clear that, like, at some point people started adopting this. But throughout the 80s and 90s, you see pride parades growing popularity around the world and the rainbow just kind of becomes affiliated with them. When did this, I mean, when did the, when did it sort of become the kind of mainstream? I don't, I mean, it's funny. Well, we should talk about how the, how the flag has, has changed over the last few years. I mean, it's interesting now that every kind of corporation, every bank, every 
company now. I mean, you know, you you got you sort of have to wear the pride flag. It's become a kind of mainstream. It's gone from being this sort of counter counterculture symbol of resistance to this sort of corporate mainstream thing. I think it's be- so. In terms of, I'll go back to your earlier question about when it became kind of you know the mainstream thing to do, and I think. So obviously in the 80s, you see the AIDS crisis play out and you see activism switch back to this very radical, very, you know, there's a real urgency. That's it. So in the, in the 80s, I remember the pink triangle. I don't remember the, I don't remember the rainbow flag in the 1980s, even though it, it obviously existed. But for me, it was Peter Tatchell. It was pink triangle. It was don't die of ignorance. And that, you know, this is... Definitely. I think it's quite interesting because obviously in 78, you're kind of at this cusp so you have this kind of late 70s, San Francisco painted as this gay mecca. It feels appropriate, right, to have that symbol of of pride, of joy, of hope. But then Milk's assassinated. Years later, you then start to see the AIDS crisis unfolding. You start to see governments pay zero attention to it because it's marginalised people that are dying. And all of a sudden, it shifts back to, okay, pink triangle. <laughs> like, we need to make this statement. But then in the 90s, you know, you've had these big celebrity campaigns against AIDS. You've had you know, the Elton Johns, you've had the RuPaul's, you've had the Mac Viva Glam. You've had all these various celebrity campaigns to kind of fight against AIDS, which were, you know, obviously sparked by Act Up, Queer Nation, all these AIDS activist groups that were very radical. But then in the 90s, you start seeing pinkwashing. So you start to see pinkwashing is basically when companies recognize that LGBT communities are a valuable demographic. You get shows like Will and Grace, you get shows like Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, which tell people that as long as we're selling something, we're accepted. As long as we're pumping money into an economy, then we deserve rights. And that's when you start to see this very kind of sanitized message of pride and joy and rainbows and love when it became acceptable to do so because enough progress had been made in the fight against AIDS that LGBT people were seen as you know, mainstream enough to be accepted by corporations. And that was in the 90s that that started really happening. But yes, I remember it's, you know, we suddenly see it becoming more and more mainstream. But I want to, you know, when we look at the pride flag now, it looks very different. Well, first of all, you've, you've eloquently told us how the pride flag changed, the colours changed a little bit. But now it's a different shape. It's very, It's a very different flag now and pride i think means something very different now or it has come to mean something so just tell us how that kind of that 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 change has happened in the last sort of i don't know maybe i guess 10 years or so so an interesting thing to note is that baker actually never applied for copyright for his design he wanted to make it freely accessible and actually so soon after he kind of put out the original pride flag he blocked an attempt by an advocacy group to copyright it because he wanted it to be freely available. He wanted people to do their own things with it. So in 2018, you have somebody called Daniel Kezar who revises the pride flag. And Daniel adds, I think, like brown and black stripes. There was also a trans flag, so the blue and pink of the trans flag that were added onto there as well. And then in 2021, you have somebody called Valentina Vecchietti, who then added a reference to intersex communities and the intersex flag. So you've seen it become something that is constantly being updated to represent growing awareness of the diversity of the LGBTQ plus community. You see the pride flag because it is such a universal symbol. 
you see it being redesigned to acknowledge the fact that queer history has been so whitewashed, that so many black and brown people have been erased from queer history. Also that there's still so much racism within the queer community. And then you also see the intersex flag that's added because, you know, there are so many, for example, intersex genital mutilation, where kids are kind of forcibly corrected by surgeons. You have these communities that are being overlooked. So these redesigns of the pride flag are designed to broaden that focus and start those conversations. Well, that's it. It's a pol- flags are political objects, aren't they? Absolutely. And when you start fiddling with them or changing them, that means something. And of course, that's not going to be that's not going to go down well with certain communities. I mean, if, for example, is it is the pride flag become too busy? Should there be like separate flags for, or is it good to have it all in one flag? I mean, there are separate flags too. We have a trans flag. We have a non-binary flag. There are so many flags for different communities. There's a lesbian flag that's been redesigned and never really agreed upon. (laughs) There are intersex flags. All of those things exist, but I think when it comes to, I mean, we get one month of a year, right? Pride is one month and then people stop caring again. It's 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 become so mainstream. It's, I don't really think of it as a as a sort of one month thing anymore. I mean, it's because being gay is generally very accepted, certainly in in Western liberal countries. That's the thing, though, right? It's that that being gay has become very accepted, and I think it's because when we think of gay, we think of a very specific kind of like white cis gay man that has disposable income, and they're accepted because of that disposable income and because they can provide something, because they can be used to sell. You still have other communities that definitely do not feel that same kind of acceptance and especially you know trans people people of color so i think in a sense that's why the revision of the pride flag is quite necessary i definitely think it is but again people disagree what, what do you think where did, what's the future of the pride flag going to be do you think do you think it's gonna keep evolving into more and more or do you think or do you think our our current moral panics about all of this is going to subside and something else will will take over and it'll and it'll kind of go back perhaps or is there a can you see a sort of direction of travel really for i can see it strengthening to be honest because i mean we are under attack right there's there's constantly new anti-trans legislation you have this moral panic around drag queens reading to children you have this real sense that once something becomes mainstream there becomes this backlash against it so there is this idea that now you know gay people are accepted but i mean a that's not always true on a day-to-day level because Legal discrimination and social discrimination do very different things. And there's also now this sense that people think it's gone too far. That, oh, it's, it's wokeness gone mad. It's all of that kind of rhetoric. So I think as a response, people have started to really grasp onto the pride flag because something that actually did become fairly innocuous, fairly apolitical in a real way, is now being abandoned by even companies that have sought to make money off of us <laughs> because it's now seen as too controversial. So in in many ways, you're just getting a return of that Briggs Initiative rhetoric. So I think it's just going to strengthen. It's whatever you make it, right? And if it becomes a symbol of resistance again in the way that it originally was, I think that can only be a good thing. Jake, uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on and talking to us. I think we've got our, our listener, I want to give them a bit of homework. Your homework, listeners, is to watch the Harvey Milk film by Gus Van Sant and watch My Own Private Idaho as well, which is great. There was something else you got to watch, listen, uh, Wizard of Oz, you should probably watch. Everyone's seen The Wizard of Oz. I actually haven't. I feel like I'm not a Shut very big up. film person. How can you not have seen The Wizard of Oz? I always get this response when I tell people that I've not watched Titanic either. Oh, you should... W- You'd love The Wizard. The Wizard of Oz is great. I, well, that's your homework, Jake. Right, I've got builders next door. You can probably hear them, so it's a good time for me to sign off. But, Jake, thank you very much indeed. 
Happy Pride Month. Thank you. Enjoy whatever you're going to be doing during Pride Month. Thank you for coming on the show. No problem. Thank you for having me. So there we go. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. Now you know everything there is to know about the history of the Pride flag. And I hope you enjoyed doing your Pride homework. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you are enjoying the show, don't forget to go back through our back catalogue of episodes and fill your boots, as it were. And if you're enjoying it, don't forget to tell your friends and your family, etc. And of course, as ever, if you've got a suggestion for a topic or an episode you'd like us to cover, you can email us at patented at historyhit.com or give me a poke on social media. See you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive and new episodes ad-free, along with hundreds of history documentaries to watch, download our app across Apple App Store, Google Play and smart TV platforms. Follow the link in the show notes or go to historyhit.com slash subscribe. There is thousands of hours of history on there, including a documentary on science in the Middle Ages with Seb Falk, and also one with me talking about the secret history of the space race. As a patented listener, you get a special gift if you use the code patented at the checkout. You get 50% off your first three months. That's patented for 50% off your first three months. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free podcast episodes within the Apple app.